Our reading of God's holy word this morning is drawn from the book of 2 Samuel chapter 7. Now it came to pass when the king was dwelling in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies all around that the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains. Then Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But it happened that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Would you build a house for me to dwell in? For I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt, even to this day, but have moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about with all the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone, and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and have made you a great name like the name of the great men who are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously. Since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and caused you to rest from all your enemies. Also, the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build me a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your sight, O Lord God. And you have also spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come. Is this the manner of man, O Lord God? Now what more can David say to you? For you, Lord God, know your servant. For your word's sake and according to your own heart, You have done all these great things to make your servant know them. Therefore you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, nor is there any God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our own ears. And who is like your people, like Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem for himself as a people, 
to make for himself a name, and to do for yourself great and awesome deeds for your land, before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, the nations and their gods. For you have made your people Israel your very own people forever, and you, Lord, have become their God. Now, O Lord God, the word which you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, establish it forever and do as you have said. So let your name be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is the God over Israel. And let the house of your servant David be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore your servant has found in his heart to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this goodness to your servant. Now, therefore, let it please you to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue before you forever. For you, O Lord God, have spoken it, and with your blessing let the house of your servant be blessed forever. This is the word of the Lord. David had in his heart to build God a house. But God did not have it in his heart to have David do that. Known to God from the foundation of the world are all his acts. And when David said, I would build God a house, God said, no, I'll build you a house. Your house, of course, being your royal line. I will put upon your throne one who will build me a house in the timing that I have decreed, I have known from the foundation of the world that he will build me a house, and so he will. Solomon would build a house for the Lord, just as David was promised. But more than that, I will build you a house, and it will last forever. I will establish the the throne of your son so that there is a royal line of David forever. Thus says the Lord. The passage is very clear that God keeps his word. In David's prayer, you can hear that. It's the very essence of faith that when God speaks, it will come to pass. There is only one way in history this could have come to pass truthfully. The time would come when David's sons would be driven from the throne. And in fact, Jerusalem would be destroyed by Babylonians. From that time till this, there has never been a human descendant of David sitting on a physical throne in the city of Jerusalem, and that has been thousands of years, and time continues to roll on. In fact, even if it were somehow to come to pass tomorrow, we'd never know it because it's impossible to declare Uh, who's descended from whom, history has absolutely swallowed that. The only way this can be true is if God was referring to Jesus of Nazareth, who is the descendant of David. They knew that at the time, and the New Testament goes out of its way to emphasize it. Who would receive the throne of David, and who would indeed rule forever, a term used in this passage many times. 
But if that is the case, then God has kept his word, and there is a king who rules over God's people from that day to this one who has never died and literally keeps the promise of God that David's house would be eternally a kingdom, and that is Jesus of Nazareth. There are Christians who will tell you there is no king on David's throne right now. In fact, that is actually the default setting for evangelicalism. We're waiting for a king to sit on David's throne. But that literally can't happen unless Jesus of Nazareth has fulfilled the promise and he is literally sitting right now on the throne of Israel, on the throne of God's people, ruling his people with grace and mercy forever. And so it is. Thanks be to God. But the sermon is not actually drawn from the scripture reading. It is drawn from the psalm, Psalm 27. The son of David, who would be given the uh, privilege of building a physical house for God, uh, Solomon is the author of our psalm, Psalm 127. We are told that in his lifetime, Solomon wrote a thousand and five songs, but divine providence has brought down to us only three. This psalm, the 72nd psalm, and of course the book called the Song of Solomon. This is inspired scripture from the pen of Solomon And it's hard to imagine he didn't have our scripture reading in mind when he wrote it. Unless the Lord should build the house, they labor in vain who build it. David said, I will build you a house, O Lord. And God said to David, that's not in my plans. You can't do that. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who will build it. Solomon was given to build it, and he labored not in vain. And it's, as I said, very hard to picture he did not have that promise to his father in mind when he wrote this psalm. Yesterday was Christmas, but last Lord's Day we celebrated the focus of the season together in the Nine Lessons and Carols. That was effectively our Christmas. By the end of the week, we shall have passed New Year's Day, and that is also on the calendar a significant day culturally, because most people tend to at least give some thought about new beginnings. What shall we lay hold of in, quote, the new year? How shall we make a fresh start? We are still celebrating the birth of Christ in our songs and hymns, and we'll be doing that again next week, but for the spirit of the new day, the new year, Solomon's psalm seemed very appropriate. As we consider going into a new year, which you always hear from the pulpit, now it's filled with new challenges and hardships, Uh, This one is not exactly a cliche. It's definitely going to be. What can we draw from God's holy song here from the pen of his servant Solomon to uh, equip us and fortify us as we go into a new year to serve him 
in the presence of his enemies and hardship. Well, looking at this brief psalm, this psalm of but five verses, uh, a number of things stand out, and they're not hard to explicate. They're actually very straightforward. What is Solomon telling us in this song? Well, the very first thing he is telling us is, if the Lord isn't in it, it will fail. It's not put forward in the positive, although the positive can be drawn from the negative. It's put forward in the negative because as God's servants, at least I think, uh, we tend to want to help God out like David. We look and we see what is lacking, and we don't hear Solomon's admonition that what is lacking cannot be numbered and what is crooked cannot be straightened. As servants of the Lord God, we look at the world and we see things that are wrong and we think God needs us to help him out, so we will do these things. And God calls us to good works and deeds. In fact, he has predestined those for us from the beginning of time, according to Ephesians 2. But he has specifically predestined specific good works and deeds. There is every likelihood that in your heart might be some thought of helping God, which God has not predestined for you. And Solomon looks you in the eye and says, if God is not in it, it will fail. The Apostle Paul wanted to take the gospel to northern Turkey. He had every intention to do so. But in the book of Acts, we read that the Spirit of Christ prevented him. He did not allow him to go and do it. To take the gospel there is a godly and good thing. But God knows his timing. God knows his purposes. God did not rebuke Paul for his desire, but God said no. And when Paul wrote to the Romans, he would have to say, I've wanted to come to you time and again, but God prevented me. It was not in God's plan that that thing happened. God knows what should take place. And if God is not in something, it will fail. And that is not actually bad news. The message of Scripture is positive because it is the message of Christ's kingdom. Christ is the good news and he is king. And if God is not in something, you don't want it to succeed. You just don't. We were talking in Bible study how even the, the, the good deeds of unbelieving people are actually wickedness. If God is not in something, it can't be good. It just can't. And you would rather it fail. And Solomon promises you that will take place. On the flip side, though, just as our Puritan forefathers have told us, wherever God gives a command, there is a forbidding, and whenever God gives a forbidding, there is a command. If it's true that if God is not in it, it will fail, the opposite is also true. If God is in it, it will succeed. The Bible is replete with all kinds of amazing callings of God to very ordinary people that should not have pulled off what they did. In fact, history is filled with God calling his people 
to do great and marvelous things, and the world saying, there is no way that will happen. They are like the Samaritans uh, surrounding the rebuilding of Jerusalem, laughing and saying, look at the weak walls they're building. If even a squirrel or a rabbit were to crawl on the wall, it would fall apart, and yet the walls were built. If God is in it, it will succeed. There is no plan, no counsel, no plotting against the Lord. We just read that in Proverbs 21. If God is in something, it will continue. As we enter into another year of growing persecution against people of faith, there is a strong tendency to despair. But there has been a people of the Lord God since the Garden of Eden. There has been a people of the Lord Jesus Christ since Genesis 3. When God made the promise, the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head, and Adam and Eve believed it, they were the people of Christ, and the people of Christ have never disappeared over these over six millennia. And believe me, if God were not in it, we would have. We would have been crushed. We would have been driven from the earth. We would have become a byword. Our enemies have been strong and powerful. They have been the mightiest nations and movements on earth. And yet, here you sit. There are Christians meeting today in the darkest places on earth. They're meeting in Morocco. They're meeting in North Korea. They're meeting in China. Believe me. If the powers of darkness could stamp them out, they would do it. They would do it this moment. Why are there believers even in those places? It's because if the Lord is in the building of the house, they don't labor in vain who build it. If the Lord watches a city, then those who get up to watch the city at night are fortified by the Lord and the city will be protected. We must remember that The Lord God can do all his holy will, and he will. It's not just a matter of he can, he will. The Lord will keep his people, the Lord will keep his gospel. If it could have been crushed out, it would have been a long, long time ago. Solomon reminds us that God has made a distinction, and you are part of that distinction. In verse 3 he refers to God's beloved. Now, liberal scholars uh, like to doubt whether Solomon really wrote this psalm. Now, they'll point out that it's written in the same kind of language as the wisdom literature, and they will point out that uh, the ascription says it's Solomon, um, and they will also have to, under their breath, admit that the term beloved here is literally Solomon's birth name. Solomon was not given the name Solomon primarily at birth. He was given the name Jedidiah. It means the beloved of the Lord. And it does not show up very often in Scripture, two or three times. But Solomon uses that term when he talks about the beloved. He is remembering God's very promise to him in his birth, 
I am the beloved of the Lord. And if the Lord has a beloved, and if Solomon can make a distinction of how God treats his beloved, he is reminding us that just as the prince who is riding off to claim his bride in Psalm 45, who is going to a wedding, who is God himself, rejoices over his bride and takes her into his palace, we are that bride. God has made a distinction among men. The church, those who belong to him in faith, are his bride. And God cares for his beloved in a very different way than he oversees anyone else. We are the beloved of the Lord. He is the bridegroom. John the Baptist reminded us of that. There is a an amazing passage in the Gospel of John. I really empathize with it because I have been in way too many ministerial associations. One of the things that happens in ministerial associations when we get together is we talk shop, but we talk shop in a way to see if we're doing better than the other guy. How you doing? How's your church growing? You know, and we kind of like sharks in the water. We're kind of circling each other. Um, in John chapter 3, that basically is brought to John the Baptist. His followers come to him and they say, you know that guy you pointed out and declared to be the lamb that takes away the sin of the world? Well, he's got a bunch of followers and all the people are going to him. And John speaks this way concerning Jesus of Nazareth. Then they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. If the Lord build the house, the Lord don't build the house. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ. But I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. Jesus is the bridegroom, come for his bride. And we are Jedediah. We are the beloved of the Lord. We are the one he has chosen to make his very own. And the Lord will bless his beloved. He will uh, do one of two things. Um, He will bless his beloved with sleep, or he will bless his beloved while they sleep. If you look at our psalm and you look at the verse I'm referring to, which is verse 2 at the end. In the, in the King James Version, in the New King James Version, in the Modern English Version, it reads, It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for he gives his beloved sleep. That may be what Solomon is intending to say. But English versions are split between how to to translate it, and it's not 
a textual variant thing. It's, you can translate it either way. In the amplified version, in the New American Standard version, in a number of English versions, it says, the Lord gives to his beloved even while they sleep. Solomon may be using ambiguous language on purpose because these two truths are found elsewhere in Scripture. We are the beloved of the Lord. If it is he gives his beloved sleep, it is not a contradiction of the Proverbs. In Proverbs 24, in verse, uh, verse 30 through 34, we read this. So I get my page turned. One more coming. I went by the field of the lazy man and by the vineyard of the man devoid of understanding, and there it was, all overgrown with thorns. Its surface was covered with nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. When I saw it, I considered it well. I looked on it and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. So shall your poverty come like a prowler and your need like an armed man. There are those who have read Solomon's promise, God's promise through Solomon, that he will give his beloved sleep and have wondered, how does that fit with that? Well, it fits very good. The Lord has given us work, and it is actually a virtue to work. Work was given before the fall. Uh, It's blessed. God also gave the Sabbath before the fall. God on the seventh day rested. And when God gave the moral law to men, it included, you shall rest on the Sabbath day. God is the all-giving God. He has given you work, and he has given you rest, and you are not to bring God's word to bash God's word. If you're using it that way, you're using it wrongly. It is a principle in the Sabbath that God blesses his beloved with rest, just so they can rise again in the morning and work. Work for the glory of God. Whatever thou doest, doeth unto the glory of God. When you are awake, serve God with all your might. But there comes a time for sleeping. And there is no time for worrying or for fretting. This song is truly about the sufficiency of the Lord. If the Lord will see a house built, it will be built. If the Lord will see a city protected, it will be protected. This is not ultimately on your shoulders. You prepare the horse for battle, but victory comes from the Lord. When you go to bed at night, worry does not need to follow you there. It does not need to torment you all night so you cannot sleep. It does not need to raise you early in the morning because you have not been able to sleep for your worry. God has this. God gives to his people sleep. Or he gives to them in their sleep, which is effectively the same blessing. Because if that is the way we translate it, either way, what Solomon is saying is God is saying to you, I've got this. You have to sleep. You are fallible. You can screw up. That's not true of me, any of it. 
And while you sleep, I'll overwatch what I gave you. I will see to it that it doesn't blow up in the night. I will see to it that what I have blessed will stand. We are finite beings. And we are prone to take upon our shoulders the weight of the world. We have got to make things right. We have got to build things. It all depends on us. If that's true, we are in desperate straits. Because we are finite, our energy will run to an end. Our moral sufficiency is low. Our wisdom, low. But if God will build a house, it will be built. And if God will guard a city, it will be guarded. And that's even while you partake of his blessing of sleep. If we had to watch over our house and all the things of it to make sure it didn't fall apart, we would fall apart. We don't have the energy for that. But God says, you are my beloved, you are my bride. I will treat you as husband and I will watch over this. Close your eyes, sleep, enjoy the principle of Sabbath rest, for I, the Lord, am sufficient. And when you wake up in the morning, my kingdom will still be there because it's my kingdom. And your house is a house of Jacob. Your house is a dwelling of God's people. That makes it my kingdom. And I will watch over it. Sleep. For I give you blessing in your sleep. Translators and commentators like to pit the two parts of this psalm against one another. Verse 1 through 2 fits together very well, and verse 3 through 5 fits together very well, but they don't really know how to put them together. What's the theme running through it? Well, I think the theme running through it, including the first two verses, is God's desire, his plan, his purpose, the way he's going to build his kingdom, is going to be through building godly families. Verse 1 and 2 are not really off that topic. If the Lord builds a house, they aren't laboring in vain who build it. The first thought when you read that is you picture the building of a structure like this, and you picture masons. But when God spoke to David, and he laughed and said, you would build me a house? Yeah, right, sure. No, I will build you a house. But David already dwelt in a palace of cedar. David didn't need a physical house. God was saying, I will build you a household. I will build you a family, and that family will last. If the Lord doesn't build the house, it will fail. Where do families dwell in safety? Well, in times of danger, they dwell behind the walls of a city. They flee to a city and find security in times of war. Uh, What are the walls for? is to protect the families and people inside of them. If the Lord watches the city, the city won't fall. If the Lord does not watch the city, the city will fall. 
And what will happen? Well, the families inside will be crushed. But if the Lord watches the walls, they will be safe. Oh, by the way, children are a blessing of the Lord. Do you see the pattern? God is highlighting what is on his heart. And he will build a kingdom on earth, a visible kingdom. He will build a visible kingdom out of godly families. If you look at how the Bible treats discipleship and evangelism, we tear those two things apart. We make evangelism one thing, and we make discipleship another, and we almost don't even mention the one when we mention the other. But if you look at how God laid down the primary way for the faith to be advanced, you come to passages like Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning at verse 4, where we read this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart, you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. That's discipleship language. You shall take your children and you shall view them as disciples. And you shall raise them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Which is not a line drawn from a Hebrew scripture. It's a line drawn from a New Testament Greek scripture. It's drawn from Ephesians chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Is that not also discipleship language? What is parenthood for the Christian but discipleship? You walk by the way, and you point out to your offspring, look what God is doing. You go about your business, and you point out to your offspring, this is how I glorify God when I do what I do. You have a precious handful of years to disciple young minds and hearts in the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and it's an opportunity that will never come again. It will never come again for them. It will never come again for you. It is a unique, precious gift. Children are a gift from the Lord as he builds a house. Children are a gift of the Lord as he builds up a city. Children are the gift to his beloved. They are a blessing Because it is here God will build his city. It is here God will raise up his families. There will be evangelism take place, and we are called to it. We are called to bring the gospel beyond our children. But listen to how 
the Apostle Paul speaks of how that works as he writes to various Christians in various contexts. When Paul writes to both Titus and Timothy, at the beginning of his epistles to them, listen to the words that Paul uses as he talks about what it means for him to have been the vessel of God's evangelism to them. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ our hope, to Timothy, a true son in the faith. A true son. What is Paul saying? Well, he is saying that just like is normative, where we raise up our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, we, we are the vessels of God to draw them to faith. When the gospel is shared with others, not in our family, and God works his miracle and draws them to faith, it is very much like becoming a spiritual parent. It is giving birth to spiritual offspring. Paul, when he writes to Philemon in the church of Laodicea, uh, he says this about Onesimus. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains. The gospel spreading is put in the New Testament in terms of the growth of the family. And it's not just symbolic. When we embrace the Lord Christ, we are family with those who are in Christ in a way that we are not family with those who are not in Christ, even if they're blood. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't honor your father and mother or that that doesn't apply, but really, in Christ is more of a family than out of Christ. And to share the gospel is to beget sons. And God says, it is a blessing that you have children. How many? Well, a bunch. God's Spirit could have, at this point, given a number. He could have said, you know, what you guys need to shoot for is seven, or ten, or two. No, the Lord said, it is a blessing when I give you children. Uh, Think about it like a quiver of arrows. How many arrows does an archer want to have in a heated moment? Well, as many as he can get hold of. Hopefully, the quiver has a bunch of arrows. Well... If I give you children, each and every last one of them is a blessing from me. And it's also a blessing for you. Because you're going to get old. You're going to become weak. You're going to walk in this world at a day when Solomon will describe you in another book where the teeth are wearing out and the legs stoop and you can't really hear and you're afraid when you walk along the way, and when you're in that shape, you know what you'd like to have? You'd like to have a family that protects you. And that is exactly what Solomon says in this psalm. He says, God blesses you with children of youth, 
so that you may raise them up to be the kind of people that will care for you when you are old, such as proper family. Would to God that that's the way family really works out in the world, but our sinful nature often frustrates it. But that is God's plan for family. And in a family where children have been raised up in the Lord, they have been treated as arrows not just for the Father, but for the Lord. That is the way family's going to work. It is a blessing from God, it is a blessing for God, and it is a blessing for you. God is providing for you in the children of your youth. This is actually the meaning of Christ's words in Mark chapter 10, verse 28 through 31. This passage has been a mystery for many who have read it, and I've had more than one person come to me and say, what does this mean? Well, this is what we're talking about, beginning in verse 28. Then Peter began to say to him, See, we have left all and followed you. And Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. What's it mean? Well, if you raise your children rightly, when you are in need, they will open their house, right? If you are in trouble and old, if you have raised your children and God has been gracious and has converted them, um... Will they shut the door to you and keep you out? Well, the answer is no, if they're the kind of people God wants them to be. Well, look around you. There's not that many of us today, but imagine the whole congregation was here. Uh, Imagine every family who is, in fact, part of this church. In the day of trouble and persecution, do you believe that they would open their door to you? Would they invite you in? Would they care for you and give you food if you needed it, a place to stay if you needed it? Would they treat you as family? Answer is yes here. I, there, it's, it's yes in many churches. It's also no in many. But the way it's supposed to work is yes. God builds up his kingdom by families, and he puts his families together in the kingdom And the families are family. When you come to the Lord, you get more brothers, more sisters, more mothers, more fathers. And that's real. It's not supposed to be we wander into a lecture hall and we sit silently and we hear somebody lecture at us and then we wander out and we barely know anybody. Uh, God builds his kingdom in a family structure and when the tornadoes knock the town down, the church comes together and cares for its own and does what it has to because it's family. Family protects. And Solomon reminds us of the goodness of it. And he assures us that 
God will do it. If God isn't in it, it will fail, but the reverse is, if God is in it, it will stand. And as we go into dark clouds, I I wish I could promise you something else. I wish I could say, you know, 2022 just is kind of looking up, but there's no chance of that from where I'm standing. As we walk into those clouds, if the Lord will watch his city, it will stand. And if the Lord will build your house, it will be built. And when you lay down to sleep in 2022, it's okay to sleep because God's got it. He's got what he's given to you. In the words of the Apostle Paul, I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have entrusted to him until that day. The Lord will build his kingdom. He will build his kingdom in 2022. He will build his kingdom in 3032 if the Lord Jesus Christ shall tarry. Thanks be to God. Is there any catechism work that needs to be done at this time? meant by a lack of conformity? Very good. What is meant by transgression? Probably got it, but I didn't hear it. Did you get it? Okay. What does every sin deserve? That's correct. What was the sin of our first parents? That's correct. Who tempted Adam and Eve to this sin? That's right. How did Adam and Eve change when they sinned? Did Adam act for himself alone in the covenant of life? Very good. She did get the last words, right? No, he represented... Very good. Well done. Is there any other catechism work that needs to be done? Should be able to do one, two, and three. One, two, and three. James, who made you? That's right. What else did God make? Why did God make you and all things? Whose glory? Yep, I heard it. Okay. Good deal. Whose glory is it? Good deal. Uh, God's. Sixty-seven through sixty-nine. Okay. Um, what did these sacrifices represent? Christ the Lamb of God who would come to die for sinners. That's right. 
How many offices does Christ fulfill as the promised Messiah? Christ fulfills three offices. What are they? The offices of the prophet, the deputy priest, and the king. Very good. Lord's Day 22, both, both questions. Okay. What comfort does the resurrection of the body afford you? after this life will be immediately taken up to Christ its head, but that this my body after this life will be once again be united will, will be once again be united with my soul and made like into the gl- glorious body of Christ. There there is a uh, a phrase which which uh, you left out. Now it makes sense even though you jumped it. Uh, you, you know what phrase you, you jumped over? All this is raised by the power of Christ, which, if you pull it out, it still means that. So, you got the answer. What comfort have you from the article of the life everlasting? That inasmuch as I now fill my head the begetting of eternal joy, I shall after this life possess possess complete bliss, such as eyes not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man, there and to praise God forever. Very good. Well done. Is there any other catechism work things you've done? Oh, good. Oh, 112, 113. Boy, you're getting close to the end. What is the Lord's Prayer? On earth. On earth has this. This is for thine, thine is. You're right there, babe. I don't say you almost got it. Very good. How many petitions are there in the Lord's Prayer? Six. Very good. <laughs> and I say after the big question, that's nothing. So, uh, is there any other catechism work? Ooh. Well, if not, then let us make confession of faith to one another, to the world, and to God. Please stand and let us confess in unison the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man 
and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits on the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Please be seated, and let us seek the Lord in prayer. Lord God, we thank you that every blessing is from your hand, and you have blessed your beloved in Christ with every blessing. I pray, Father, that as we go forward into this new year, you would give us eyes to see those blessings. Lord, they are all about us, but without the gift of sight, we will not see them. I pray that you would give us to see your blessing even in the darkness, and you would give us to have faith in your power even as your enemies rise to try to harm us. Father, I pray that you would make uh, 2022 a year of the advance of your gospel. I pray that you would lift up ministers who would preach your holy word in all its truth, I pray that you would raise up missionaries who would follow your call to establish new outreaches of your kingdom. I pray that you would sanctify your church, Father. Lord, I pray that the churches of Christ in our country would be sanctified by your Spirit and that you would draw us all to true faith, to true repentance, to true doctrine, that we might honor your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we confess that as a body we have not been salt, light, and leaven. Lord, no nation can be more spiritual than the churches within her, and we see before us the evidence of what is taking place. Father, we pray for mercy upon your church and ask for a renewal of reformation. We ask that you would draw your church to her Lord, to her husband, to her beloved, and that you would sanctify us by the washing of water and the word. You would cleanse us with your blood, and you would give us to desire holiness. Father, we do pray and ask that you be with those who are on our hearts. Father, you know who they are and what the need is. We pray that you would hear our petitions now and would kindly receive them and turn our petitions into your power to glorify your Son Christ in all the particular situations lifted before you. Father, we pray for our missionaries. We ask that you would bless them at this time. And as they are contemplating new beginnings, I pray you would give them true wisdom that they might carry out their calling to the glory of Christ. Father, protect them and protect us. 
Your enemies are nothing before you, but before us, we cannot stand without your strength. We pray, Father, that you would protect our missionaries and us. Lord, we pray for our children. We ask that your spirit would bring to bear upon them the true gospel in the inner man, and that none of our children you would suffer to be lost. We pray that you would bring them to faith in due time, convert them, raise up from them a generation of the church that uh, will advance beyond us, Father. We pray that you would do a mighty work in them and that you would be beginning it now. We pray for mothers and fathers that they would disciple their children and see them as the blessing they are. Father, we pray all these things, knowing that you can and will do more than we ask or imagine. For we pray in a mighty name. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. At this time, we will take our tithes and offerings. I've got somebody to do it. Our most merciful and gracious God, of whose bounty we have all received, we implore you to accept this offering of your people. Remember in your love those who have brought it and those for whom it is given. Please follow it with your blessing that it may promote peace and goodwill among men and advance the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Hear the words of the Holy Gospel taken from St. Matthew. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Now in Christ's name I take these elements, the bread and the wine, to be set apart by prayer and thanksgiving to the holy use for which he has appointed them. Let us pray. O God, you have by the blood of your dear Son set apart for us a new and living way into the holiest of all. Cleanse our minds, we implore you, by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that drawing near unto you with a pure heart and undefiled conscience, we may receive these your gifts without sin and worthily magnify your holy name. Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The bread which we break is, by faith, a participation in the body of Christ.
And let us partake together. In just like manner, the cup which we bless is by faith a participation in the blood of Christ. let us partake together. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we give you praise and thanks that upon us, the unworthy, you confer such a rich benefit as bringing us into communion with your Son, Jesus Christ, whom having delivered unto death, you have given to us to be our nourishment unto eternal life. Now we ask you to also grant us grace that we may never be unmindful of these things, but bearing them about, engraved upon our hearts, we may advance and grow in that faith which is exercised by the practice of lawful works through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Please stand and let us worship in song singing, while by the sheep we watched at night. 
While by the sheep we watched at night, glad tidings brought an angel bright. How great our joy, great our joy, 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 joy. Praise we the Lord in heaven on high. Praise we the Lord in heaven on high. Lord, so he did say in Bethlehem a child today. How great our joy, great our joy, 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 praise we the Lord in heaven on high, praise we the Lord in heaven on high, there shall the child lie in a soul, this child who shall redeem us all. How great our joy, great our joy, 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 joy. Praise we the Lord in heaven on high. Praise we the Lord in heaven on high. This gift of God will cherish well, that ever joy our hearts shall fill. How great our joy, great our joy, 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 joy. Praise we the Lord in heaven on high. Praise we the Lord in heaven on high. May the road rise to meet you. May the wind always be at your back. May the sun shine warm upon your face. The rain fall soft upon your fields. And until we meet again... May God hold you in the palm of his hand. May the sacred three pour out upon you mildly and generously more and more forever. Amen. Our doxology is angels we have heard on high. Angels we have heard on high, sweetly singing o'er the plains and the mountains Fly, echo back their joyous strains. Gloria in excelsis Deo. Why this jubilee? Why your joy?
but may the tidings be which inspire your heavenly song. Gloria in excelsis Deo. and serve the Lord. We did that a couple of times. We went to Alethea's and we had Christmas with our family here. And we definitely ate like kings. So. <laughs> I can't do that all the time. It was part of the reason I'm so tired today. <laughs> I bogged down the whole meat I was eating. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, we actually eat like kings most of the time, to be honest. That is true. Literally, compared, you know, if you go back in time and space, or, you know, to be born in this country is to be rich. easy to take it for granted because we're just so used to it. But. It's true. Uh, when I was a teenager, by God's grace, I got to tour the third world. I was in the Philippines for a while, Hong Kong, which I guess is in the third world, but it's definitely foreign, and saw there are people, there are people definitely living far lower than we are, and yet their faith among the people I, I worked among you know, was just powerful. That was a a gift of God, extremely. Yeah, well, I did some ministry work out in Mexico, you know, and some of these people, like, the living, uh, basically, pallets built up, and then cardboard around it is like insulation, and that's their home. Uh, so there's some extreme poverty, and 
living out in Egypt and going out there and the deployment. Yeah, there's, there's definitely some extreme poverty people are not there. It's bad. I'm Mike myself here. Oh, yeah. Pardon me? Uh, Boy, the kids did the, com- the, kids did the um, catechism, just the perfect thing. I looked down and realized I was missing the entire end of the Nicene Oh, really? I had the part about um, the Holy Spirit twice. It didn't have the end about the Apostolic Church at all. Uh, no, I actually closed the slides, grabbed your book. Typed the slide, put it back up. Okay. Just as Conrad got finished, uh, <laughs> I was like, "Where's Ron?" I was typing "Amen" as as he fin- as he finished up. <laughs> like, and then I put it back. I was like, "Oh, please don't let him." You know, I, I was afraid the you know with the printer shut down on me or something. It worked perfectly. 